Welcome to Getting to the Core, a Wayne County Regional Educational Service Agency podcast. We invite you to join us as we discuss a variety of educational topics and hopefully plant a few seeds that get to the core of our mission, leading, learning for all. So let's find out who's with us today. Nathan, would you like to introduce yourself and let us know, uh, so what? Why are you with us? Thank you, Melissa. Yes, hey everybody. My name is Nathan Spencer and I'm a science education consultant with Wayne County RESA. Um, historically, I've, I've been with RESA now for three years. Prior to that, I was an instructional coach, both with Oxford Community Schools uh, and with Detroit Public Schools. And prior to that, I was a teacher. I, I taught high school science. Uh, and as science teachers know, you can teach everything from uh, what your degree is in to anything else that's, that's in the school building. So, um, I have quite a history with that. And you know, currently I'm working on a number of projects. I'm working with teachers and implementing uh, different high quality aligned curricula. We're doing some research around uh, different biology curricula that um, have been written by uh, university researchers and uh, that's going well. Uh, working specifically with DPSCD, Detroit Public Schools. Um, and that's me in a nutshell. So you've graded a few papers in your life. I've graded a few papers in my life. I've given some feedback to students in my life. I'm, uh, I've been in professional development about it for years, uh, and I'm learning from all of you and the teachers I work with daily um, to, to be able to be here and, and share the learning I've had from them and all of you. So, Ellen, you would say it's probably more than just grading papers. Um, tell us, who are you and, and why are you here? Uh, thanks, Melissa, and good morning, Nathan. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, my name is um, Ellen Warringham, and I am an assessment consultant at Wayne Risa. I have been at Wayne Risa for 13 years, and during that time, I've had the opportunity to work with um, all of our districts, a lot of professional um, learning communities within those districts, and doing a lot of things around assessment-related topics. Um, my passion is formative assessment and the formative assessment process and helping teachers recognize that how they implement and think about um, assessment for learning in their classrooms can actually change the way that they teach and the way that their students learn. Um, I am a former teacher. I taught uh, language arts um, and social studies at the middle school level in El Paso, Texas and Detroit, Michigan. Um, after uh, leaving the classroom, um, I did a short stint as a vice principal and then I went into um, getting my doctorate. And during that time, I had the opportunity to work as an adjunct and um, at Eastern Michigan University while I was doing that work. And from there, I flowed into a director of quality um, assessment and quality instruction at a charter school management company. And from there, I flowed to Wayne Risa. So it's been kind of a whirlwind. I've held many hats. Um, also part of my job at Wayne Risa is to do a lot of work at the state level, and so I am a board member for the Michigan Assessment Consortium, and I'm also one of the leads for the uh, FAME program for Michigan Department of Ed, and FAME, of course, stands for Formative Assessment for Michigan Educators. And through that work, feedback and quality assessment practices, and of course, how grading fits into all of that um, is definitely in my wheelhouse. And I'm very excited to be with you here today and have some conversation around that. So thank you. So you have some experience in this. Just a little. <laughs> well, thank you. We look forward to hearing what you have to say and to help us kind of say, so what can we do with all of this? Jason, tell us about you. 
Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Psycho. I am an instructional technology consultant here at Wayne Risa, and I've been here just a little over a year, so I'm the rookie of the group here. I was a, I started off as a high school biology and chemistry teacher in Clarkston, Michigan. And after that, uh, after earning my doctorate, I was a professor of educational technology at Grand Valley State University. And then I was uh, associate professor and director of accreditation for Madonna University's College of Education for a few years. Um, a lot of my research interests during that time dealt with specifically K-12 online learning. I have uh, probably over 20 peer-reviewed journal articles on, uh, mostly on the topic of K-12 online learning, uh, both locally, globally, um, particularly like with uh, in uh, New Zealand, as well as Canada. And uh, my own personal research interest was dealing with K-12 student online readiness. And so that's one of the things that we often forget about is that when we talk about K-12 online learning, what are the soft skills that are associated with online learning at the K-12 level versus adult learners? So that's my background, and uh, that's what I think I can bring to the table here today. Well, and that is one of the, the things, right, that we're thinking about not only what does this look like if I'm face-to-face -face with you in a, a traditional setting, but now... How do I do this remotely? And so really looking forward to hearing your voice as well as we pair what we know about best practice and what we're learning about in a, a mass quick way about how to do this uh, well in a, a virtual remote environment. So when we think about assessment, we think about grading, we think about feedback. Um, all of those are normally in a, a conversation unless you're with your peers um, of your, your educational field, you're thinking about these sometimes in a separate way. Right or wrong, truth or dare, um, we need to get this right. So what can we do about figuring this out? Um, Ellen, let's, let's start with, with your, your thoughts around this. One of the, the resources that are out there is the Distance Learning Playbook. Um, Fisher, Fry, and Hattie, um, three colleagues I'm sure we'd all love to have a conversation with. But one of the things they mention around uh, assessment um, in their module eight is assessment is assessment. And they go on to say that there's nothing magical and any tool can be used in a formative or uh, summative manner. It's all in the person using it. So I guess it's the kind of magic wand that we have. So Ellen, would you uh, agree with that? Um, is assessment just assessment? Um, or is there a magic wand, so to speak, that would help us kind of clear the air um, and poof, this all makes sense for us? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Melissa. So let me see if I can unpack that a little bit. Um, when I think of assessment, I think of an umbrella, and I think of all of the things that we do in our classroom where we gather evidence. So for me, I like to follow the definition that Rick Stiggins puts out in terms of assessment being a process where we're gathering information around student learning to do something with it. And what we do with it depends on whether or not we're trying to use it in a summative or a formative sense. And Yes, to some extent, it depends on the user, but it also depends on the purpose. And we have to be very purposeful and intentional when we start to gather evidence of student learning and call it assessment. What do we want to use it for? If we want to use it to certify student learning and put a grade on it and say that at this point in time, this is what the student knew, then that's more summative in nature and fine, grade it, you know, call it an assessment of learning, call it summative, whatever the case may be. If, on the other hand, you're gathering that evidence just to figure out where the students are at 
and um, thinking about the journey of learning and trying to help them get from where they're at to where they need to be. And you're not going to judge or certify, you're just trying more to nudge then the purpose is different, right? And the purpose is to give them more information. The purpose is to give them some feedback so that we can feed them forward to where we want them to be. The purpose is to give you information so that you might adjust your teaching so that they can adjust their learning so that we can keep students on that path to where they need to go. Um, I'm a firm believer that we spend a lot of time in our classrooms doing a lot of assessments. You can give the kids a worksheet and you gather that evidence to see what they know around a particular topic. You do a project, that's assessment. You do a quick quiz, that's a type of an assessment. But again, being very purposeful and intentional about why you're collecting it is where I think the formative piece comes in and where we would want to give the feedback. So yes, I agree with Hattie and Fisher and Fry that assessment is just assessment, um, but I think I think there's some planning that goes into it and that purposefulness, I can't say that word enough probably, and that intentionality have to be foremost in a teacher's mind when they're thinking about how they're going to be using the evidence that they're collecting from that assessment. So collecting evidence, um, science perhaps comes to mind. We're thinking about evidence, we're thinking about purpose. Um, Nathan, how would you follow up with what Ellen has shared? Um, when we think about our field of science, and, and you mentioned in the beginning, um, perhaps a, a content area that isn't always the, the first in line. Um, how do we really think about that, especially as we shift towards um, really exploratory and phenomena-based learning? Talk to us about what does it look like uh, when we're thinking about this work in, in your field? Yeah, great question. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's a lot to follow up with here. Um, so. You know, I want to start with some of the shifts you just mentioned with science instruction over the past five years and where we're moving, where teachers are moving and buildings are moving and districts are moving. And some, some important considerations are around uh, what we call the science and engineering practices, what we expect students to be uh, doing uh, in order to gain access to, to explain the phenomena or design solutions to a problem. Um, and what's interesting is there's, uh, there's a, a practice I'll, I'll, I'll focus on right now called modeling. Um, so a scientific model is, um, is a representation of something that happens in the real world. It's a way that students can use uh, language, diagrams, uh, different kinds of text in order to explain the phenomena. And um, there's a process that's uh, pretty well known in the scientific community about how to go about uh, getting students to explain using models. And it is completely about uh, students being formatively assessed and getting feedback from their peers and from the teacher. Uh, and so uh, part of the structure is students are engaged, like you mentioned, with a phenomenon. And um, as they do this, they sit by themselves, they, they think, they, they ask questions, they begin to wonder. Um, and in, in the course of this, one of the things they'll do, uh, that the teachers will have them do, is to think about how does this what's an explanatory way to think about to think about this phenomenon and uh, students will work in small groups and they'll begin to sometimes draw out their explanation through this model uh, and it's a it's a it's a way to as you're walking around looking at the student work to uh, you know physically see how the students think about this so you get to know what the student's background knowledge is 
get to know what they're thinking about at the time. You can give them immediate feedback uh, as, you're, as you're walking around. But the goal here isn't to give them the right answers. The goal is to give them feedback with more questions. Um, and so you always know, um, as the students are working, what they're thinking at the time. It's, it's, the, it's a beautiful process that's all about formative feedback, and it's very, very consistent. Um, as a matter of fact, all of the science practices, aside from modeling, have to do with really understanding where students are formatively. Um, so if I look at any of the eight science and engineering practices, even the one of asking questions, you can garner a lot from where a student is thinking, um, what, what their background knowledge is, by the kinds of questions they ask around phenomena. And so that's something we really uh, work to impress upon teachers and principals and, and ourselves, our peers, is how do we use um, what students bring to the table uh, as a way to assess where they're at and what we, how we need to help them. How do we question them to move them forward to this, this next step, this next piece? Um, so it's been a really powerful learning opportunity for me and for all science educators recently using uh, these new tools to help us understand where kids are. You mentioned, you know, the, the hope that in this work that they're not just getting feedback from their educator, their instructor, but they're also getting feedback from students. Uh, Jason, you mentioned that this is an area that you've done um, some work in both in how do we not only prepare students for um, entering into online education, but thinking around, you know, the power of, of soft skills. And so when you think about assessment and you think about um, perhaps whether it's the field of science or, or other, other content areas where we're hoping that the educator is able to provide feedback to the students throughout the process and that peers can supply feedback to each other, how do we do this now in a, a remote environment or an online um, you know, an educational environment? What does this look like? How do we really do this? So, so what, um, if this matters and if we can't do it virtually? So a lot of things that go on when we talk about online teaching versus teaching is that there are certain skills that overlap. There are great face-to-face -face teachers. There are great online teachers. They probably flip-flop very easily, but there are some skills that are part and parcel, or at least have to be more emphasized with online teaching and learning. And one of those is uh, rapport and relationship building. Uh, usually a lot of the research will indicate that one of the problems with online learning is feelings of isolation. And if you've ever taken an online class, you've probably had a, a, an instructor or a professor who was very involved in the course. And then you've had other online courses where you just got your grades and they weren't even participating in the discussion threads. So building that rapport, which is another thing that's pointed out in uh, distance learning playbook in terms of building positive teacher-student relationships, uh, that is really key. Um, the other piece, going back to the soft skills, is aside from that isolation, is what are the students' uh, beliefs about achievement and about um, their ability to take risks? And I don't mean that in a sketchy sort of way. I mean that in terms of academic risk-taking, uh, the ability to you know, raise your hand and not feel embarrassed if you have a question. And so those are the things that, uh, as, as we look at how to prepare students for online learning, uh, we have to work on those types of skills. What are their achievement beliefs? And I'm not a big you know, disciple of the growth versus fixed mindset, but that is kind of the overarching theme here is the fact that what are their beliefs about uh, their own achievement and how they can improve uh, their learning and performance based on those beliefs. The, going back to the, the risk-taking is, is some of the research does show that you know, 
online learners sometimes have a benefit of time, particularly in an asynchronous environment, because sometimes they need to think and absorb and process and maybe respond at a later date outside of the, the synchronous session. Um, but also, you know, what are their feelings about asking if they're, if they're afraid to raise their hand in, in a classroom, are they afraid to unmute in a Zoom meeting? And so those are some of the things that we want to kind of parse out from students. And that goes back to, as Hattie and, and the others mentioned in uh, module three, is about building those positive student-teacher relationships. So building a space of comfort and a space of uh, safe, safety and security so that they don't feel um, ashamed or at risk when they do have questions or when they do have um, problems. Because along those same lines, again, going back to that isolation issue, if students are at a distance and they don't see their friends and they don't see their classmates and they don't see their teacher and they don't interact, uh, those feelings of isolation can, and combined with some struggle will lead to you know, uh, regression and recession away from the course and dropping out eventually. Absolutely. You lift such, such good points in thinking about, you know, whether we're, we're thinking about assessment or we're thinking about our instructional practices, which we hope you know, are married or at least have a, a good relationship to each other. Um, we need to think about first, what environment are we setting up? Because as you mentioned, you know, sometimes we, we might think that, you know, students um, are here with their computer and, and, oh, they're on, you know, devices all the time. And, and oh, you know, they should, should feel even more apt to share and to do things, but you lift such good points that let's not assume. And let's not take away the power of being side by side or in a room with someone where you can interact in a way perhaps that um, doesn't put you so on the spot. Um, that's mentioned as well. You mentioned the, the distance learning playbook and, and where they lift um, the idea that we need to create an environment where um, I don't feel shame um, if I have errors, whether that's errors in my protocols and tools that I'm utilizing through the, the online platform, or if there are errors in, in a piece of work I've been invited to do. And so when we think about assessment and we think about the importance of um, the whole child and being uh, aware of the social emotional links and influences to the feedback that we give, um, what type of feedback would we hope this is my daughter or son that, that my, my teacher is receiving or giving to um, my student as they're interacting online or, or maybe perhaps they're face-to-face, they're -face. but what are we hoping feedback looks like? Is it the old school, I have my red pen and I'm showing you what you've done wrong in order for you to correct, or should it look and feel like something different in order to build that safe environment where we're doing uh, more nudging, as Ellen said in the beginning, and less judging? Um, I'll open it up to, to anyone who wants to respond. Um, what can we do so that more kids are, are sharing and putting out what they think and know um, as opposed to holding it in. Can I, can I give this one a start? And then Nathan, maybe you can follow up and Jason. Um, I, I think it's really very important, both what um, Jason and Nathan have said in, and you, Melissa, in terms of thinking about um, the climate that's in the classroom and the relationships that you build. Nobody's gonna take feedback from somebody that they don't trust or that they don't respect. When you think about your own experiences and the feedback that you've received. And you can think back at a time where the feedback that you were given really helped you grow and really become more proficient in whatever it is that you were doing. That's the kind of feedback that we need to give to our students. Typically, we like to think that feedback is descriptive. This is what you're doing in relation to where you need to be. 
And this are a couple of steps. So we like to think of it as descriptive and actionable. So it can help kids get on that path to completion and to success in terms of whatever their learning target is. If we as teachers can model this for our, for our students, and then they can start to do it for themselves, and then they can start to do it for one another through that peer process, it could be very, very impactful. Feedback, if you look at all of the different strategies that we have out there in our, in our wheelhouse of things that we can do, feedback is huge in terms of the effect size that it has on student achievement. And when you think about formative assessment, formative assessment and the process of formative assessment is in of itself a feedback loop, right? So it's just so tightly embedded with the assessment process. One, one last thing I would like to say is that when we think about feedback, we don't want to always think about feedback in relation to the task and to the outcome of the task. Uh, feedback that we can give kids in terms of the processes that they're using to engage in the task can be very powerful too. And feedback that we can give the students around how they're self-regulating and the behaviors that they're engaged in. And if they're doing things in a timely fashion and if they're organized and things like that can also be very impactful. So feedback can take many forms. It can be written, it can be oral, you know, it can be questions like Nathan was talking about. It can be observations like Jason was mentioning. I mean, it's, it, it's just this gamut. But I keep going back to those two words. You have to have clarity in terms of what it is you want kids to know and be able to do. And you have to be intentional and purposeful about setting it up so that everybody in your classroom can be successful, whether that be face-to-face -face or whether that be virtual. So that's my two cents. Nathan? Yeah, thanks, Ellen. And, and you know, intentionality is, is definitely always key in my opinion as well. Um, you know, uh, you both brought up some really important points. Uh, and I'm I know in in the distance learning playbook they talk about setting norms um, in, in, in other portions of this but in terms of feedback what better time to discuss norms than when you're discussing feedback um, feedback on how we are doing as a classroom how is our learning happening how is our discourse occurring uh, the effort taking the opportunity with the students to either build norms or consistently reflect on norms um, it is itself like elementary earlier a feedback cycle so students feeling safe in the classroom, the ability to actually have discourse, whether that be verbal or, or even, even typing um, can be tough if you're asking students to put something out there for their peers to read, it can be tough for kids. So really a, a great feedback cycle is, is consistently coming back to developing, building and reflecting upon uh, classroom norms. Um, also, it's, it's, you know, I'm going to give an example of a, a way you can get feedback in, in the tech world. So, for example, um, I mentioned earlier the practice of developing and using models. And so, in this online environment, it's, it, it's different than the face-to-face -face environment. So, in a face-to-face -face environment, students are sitting in their small groups and their pods, and they're able to work together, heads together, uh, and really talk about the model and what should go here and, and why this works and give evidence that doesn't happen as easily online, right? Because you're, you're not together, maybe. Um, I, also, sometimes the tools that we want students to use, like whiteboarding tools, which are amazing. However, there's always, there's often at least, there's often uh, uh, technical issues that keep things from happening in the, the manner you want them to happen. So uh, one tool that some peers of mine from Oakland County uh, shared with us is where they're using uh, both PowerPoint and Google Slides 
as a way to, for students to um, work on modeling practices. And, and the reason I bring this up is because you can use these, these pretty basic tech tools, Google Slides and PowerPoint, um, for students to work asynchronously, so work independently on a, in modeling practices, and they can give each other feedback, and the teacher can then give feedback on those slides. And it's really important that as we ask students to give feedback to their peers, that we give them the tools that allow them to give appropriate feedback and powerful feedback. Because feedback shouldn't be vague, I like the way you colored that, um, right? And you have to make sure that they understand that our norms are always in place. So you want to scaffold students' ability to give feedback back on anything. So not just in modeling and science, but in mathematics and in, 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 in uh, English language arts and social studies. You have to make sure the students have the tools necessary. So giving them things such as uh, you know, question stems or sentence starters are really powerful ways to allow students to give each other feedback. Um, uh, yeah. And so I'll kind of combine those two things together because some of the things that Ellen mentioned regarding doesn't always have to be about the, the right wrong. It can be about some of the processes and the organization's uh, beliefs and whatnot. And, and taking what Nathan said about, um, you know, the technology things, a lot of the, the soft skills involved with online learning and, and online learning success in K-12 students is, uh, go back to some of those things. So uh, depending on the research, there's, there's multiple... Um, things out there, but there are some validated instruments that, that rate uh, online K-12 readiness. And some of the, the one in particular is the ESPRI that, that focuses really on four things. And I mentioned one already, um, the, the academic risk-taking and, and whether or not they uh, feel comfortable in doing so, but, and the achievement beliefs as well as their beliefs on how well they um, feel about their own um, ability to, to change uh, you know, over time. But then the other ones are organization beliefs. And that goes back to what Ellen was saying about processes and, and, and how do you organize yourself around online learning and how do you prepare yourself for keeping track of things. Again, going back to that isolation factor that, you know, when you're in a classroom, you, you have this kind of routine when, you, when you're in an online classroom, particularly if it's a majority asynchronous, is that you're kind of, you have to be self-regulated. And then uh, the last one though is technology self-efficacy. And that doesn't necessarily mean technology acumen. It means are you, if you struggle, are you able to go somewhere for help? And I think that gets to some of what Nathan was referring to is, is the struggle that sometimes occurs that is not necessarily part of the content uh, that they're trying to learn, but actually how they're, they're demonstrating their, their understanding or demonstrating their knowledge. And that's magnified in an online setting because we are relying on almost uh, all technology tools to uh, do those assessment activities and those peer review activities. So you've mentioned some, some really important things. Um, all of you have uh, risk-taking, um, the belief that I, I can do this and if I can't, is there a place to reach out for help? The power of giving feedback so that I can grow, not so that I can um, put on my shoes today. And so when you think about all this work, um, do you grade me on all of this? Is this something that you're marking my, my growth on the wall? and saying, oh, you're almost there yet, but not yet. Um, what do we grade, especially when we think about uh, a shift towards or an inclusion of, of online learning? Um, how in the world do I know what I'm grading, what I'm keeping track of, what I'm not, what was a, a good try, let's do it again, and, and what was, ooh, yep, let's sit down and, and learn how to do this. How do I know? Um, so what in the world do we grade when everything is happening um, on a computer? 
I'm ready for this one. <laughs> um, I, it's not an easy question. And, you know, there's so much about grading that is rooted in tradition. And we all know how hard sometimes it is to break with tradition. But there are two people, in addition to what Hattie and Frischer and Fry talk about in the distance learning playbook, there are two other people that I uh, go to when I think about grading. And one of them is Tom Guskey, and the other one is Ken O'Connor. And I recently had the opportunity to engage with both of these gentlemen through various virtual um, environments. And two quotes stand out to me from both of them. One is from Guskey. He says, teachers can teach without grades and students can learn without grades. However, checking is essential. And when we think about checking, we need to make sure that we are constantly aware, aware of where our students are at, as do they. Students need to be involved in the assessment process. They need to be involved in the feedback process and they need to be involved in the grading process. And Ken O'Connor takes it one step further and he says, you can learn without grades, but you can't learn without feedback. So to me, when I'm thinking about what am I gonna grade, it goes back to that purpose again. And it goes back to those two big questions. Am I certifying it or am I just trying to figure out where the kids are at so I can help them continue on? So when I think of grading summative, put a grade on it. You know, if I'm giving the kids a piece of homework and Ken O'Connor would actually encourage us to stop calling it homework, he would encourage us to start calling it evidence. So instead of asking the kids, where's your homework? Where's your homework? No, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Because I don't know how to help you if I don't have evidence of where you're currently at. So if I'm collecting evidence and it's at a point in time where it's done, it's over, I don't expect the kids to learn anything more about it, put a grade on it, put it in your grade book, move on. But if it's the first time I've introduced something to the students and I just want to see if they understand it and if they can practice and if that's probably more formative. And in that case, I might not put a grade on it. I would hope you wouldn't put a grade on it. And you might say, huh, this child needs some feedback. So let's have some conversation. Let's have a, a dialogue with that child. Let's let them get with their peers and have some conversation around the norms that, that, that uh, Nathan has talked about. And let's create a process where they can actually learn from that practice and not be judged and told after one attempt that you're not good at it. So don't try anymore. And so really you're, you're lifting perhaps a, a shift for educators as well, or for leaders who might have a, a norm or expectation right now that we have so many grades in the grade book. Yes, thank and, you. Uh, yeah, and, and for parents, what do you mean I'm not getting that spelling test home every week? Or what do you mean your teacher isn't grading this? Um, that's a big shift for everybody. That's that tradition that we have to sort of break through. You can do it, but you have to give you have to give parents and students and teachers the why. Why, if we do things differently, will it be better for the students? And sometimes we don't take the time to do that. Absolutely. And what's the the evidence that uh, the way we've been doing it is working? And, and can I add in, Melissa? Um, you know, uh, that was well said, Ellen. And I. I I'd put in a couple more things and add on to what Ellen was just saying by saying that it might also look different depending on the content area you're in. Right? So feedback may look a bit different. Some of the, the tools and strategies for giving feedback may, may be the same, but the way it's done uh, might look different. Uh, and I really like the idea of really talking about how there's a teacher shift and a leadership shift when it comes to thinking about um, assessment. And so 
there needs to be, there still needs to be something that, that parents see and that students see and that principals can see and that teachers can always help students reflect on. And so really thinking about in your content area, um, and, and of course I speak for science here, what is it evidence that, that you're constantly getting students feedback on that you can show to parents? Um, so I'll go back, since there's already a modeling theme that I've thrown out here, I'll go back to the modeling piece. These things can be, uh, if they're done online, can be shared with parents so they can see and view uh, their students' thinking, what the students have thought and done individually and with their peers. And I think that's a pretty powerful indicator of what they're doing in the classroom. Um, the principals can see that as well. We can use technology tools to help lift all these things out. As a matter of fact, if I think about one of the experiences I've had with the distance learning playbook is that throughout this book, they have small QR codes and those QR codes, uh, you know, you use your phone with a little QR reader and a video pops up. There's no reason that that same technology can't be used to share with parents so they can use their QR codes on their phones and they can see the student's work or a video of the student um, uh, talking about what they're learning or their explanatory process or a video of the teacher giving the students feedback, right? So the students can use the same, uh, the teachers can use the same thing for student feedback. So uh, instead of it being, oh, good job. If you're gonna give some real feedback to kids on work they're doing, you can record yourself via phone or via computer uh, and ensure that students have the chance to come back to that piece of feedback as long as they need to come back to that piece of feedback. So it's not a one and done. And it's a little more personal than, um, than written feedback as well. So there's lots of ways to, to do this, um, but it's really important that we do think as a, as a community uh, about how assessment has to change in the classrooms. Uh, it's going to be really difficult in science moving forward. Um, if, we're, if we're really trying to, you know, if I think about competency-based competency or standards-based grading, it's going to be really difficult to, to move in this direction, which is a fantastic direction, if we're still devoted to the ABCD uh, thinking. So in science, we need to consistently think about what is the evidence they're showing us that um, that's explanatory. And it's very difficult to get explanatory evidence when you think about a multiple choice test. And so there's so much to talk about with this. And it all starts for science teachers when we really start thinking about what is the curricular resource we're using and how are they getting students to express themselves in their learning. So there's a lot out there that, uh, that we at Risa can help you with. And, and I would add that there's, uh, you know, this does provide an opportunity. I, I'm not a big proponent of, oh, this is a crisis and this is the ultimate time to transform education. I'm not a big buyer into that, but there are some insights that we can gain from this. As Nathan mentioned, a multiple choice test is probably not the best way to, to uh, assess explanatory, you know, competencies. And on the, on the, on the other hand, one of the things we're seeing with online environment that we're in now is a lot of people are concerned about cheating. Well, in online testing, if you're doing a multiple choice test, there are ways, not going to talk about them here, how you can cheat on an online multiple choice test. It doesn't take a whole lot of genius to figure out you have multiple tabs open, another computer and so on, um, or texting your friend during that time. But it's very hard to cheat on explanatory uh, competencies because it's just you and whoever you're recording with and, and so on and so forth. So Nathan's very correct in saying that there's a lot of tools here uh, for uh, you know, recording, getting that uh, verbal feedback, that audio feedback, that video feedback. Um, the nice thing about the technology in the, um, 
in the sense that uh, we have this way to capture it. Not only that, but archive it and curate it. Uh, we do have the storage procedure uh, in learning management systems, uh, in Google Classroom, in Google Drive, and so on and so forth, to where all this stuff is housed, and then you can revisit it uh, chronologically to see progress. And so there, there's some perks here with online, this online environment that we're currently in that I think can help us address the uh, that shift. And if we can point those things out during this time, that would be a, a shift, no pun intended, in the right direction. Well, aside from giving away all the, the secrets to hacking and cheating, uh, Jason, I think you've, uh, you've brought up an important piece. When we think about, and correct me if I'm wrong, a nudge towards the power of uh, a portfolio or being able to reflect back upon the artifacts of, of my work. And, and perhaps it's another topic in another place, but um, we don't realize the power of that, that as opposed to me giving you 1,200 pieces of paperback and perhaps a few pieces of feedback in between, the power of being able to hold on to things and to collect them and curate them um, and really look back on the work that I've done. Perhaps that's a, a place and a, a benefit of, of working in a, an online environment as well. Um, so when you, you were thinking about the, the advice you've given, the researchers and expertise you've shared, um, imagine tomorrow, um, I've listened to this podcast, you've inspired me, you've given me some food for thought, um, walk and talk with me down the hall. Um, I'm a teacher, I'm a principal, I'm that and a mom or dad. Um, you know, walk and talk with me. What's something that you hope I, I'm walking away with so that after you go down your hallway and I go down mine, um, I feel empowered to continue the conversation, whether it be with a group of peers, Hello, colleagues. I feel inspired and empowered to have a conversation with my leader so that we can really start thinking or rethinking what we're doing with feedback, assessment, grading. Maybe it's too much, maybe it's too little. Walk and talk with me. What is that last piece of advice you would give me and, and who are you talking to um, when you're walking and talking? Well, that's a really good question. And so from my perspective, uh, I think the conversation, in some parts of the conversation are gonna be the same for a teacher as they are for the principal, as they are for district leadership. But at the same time, I'm gonna wrap my arm around principals a little bit differently than I would a teacher. Uh, so for example, um, you know, a teacher really needs to think about their curricular resource, what this is going to look like as they're, as they're moving through the day and through the weeks and through the year with their students. How do I do this? How do I give this feedback? How do I go about grading this? What does it look like as I'm sharing with parents? Um, but I think my conversation with principals goes one step beyond that because there's a, there's a, a pretty big shift when it comes to um, grading practices and what parents expect and what universities expect and depending on your grade level. Um, and so to make a shift like this requires the principals to, I'm not going to use the term buy-in, to really see that vision and understand how this can work for kids. And so I think that I'm going to give advice to, to, to teachers to really dive deeply into the resource and really think about what powerful feedback is and how that helps students. And not just to, to look at research, but also to, to engage with it um, and to ask their students about it because there's almost no more powerful feedback than ask your students how they're learning, how it's helping them, et cetera. Really diving into their metacognitive processes, I think is a really important tool. But for principals, um, I, I think 
and then for, for district leadership, I, I think beyond that, we need to ask ourselves, what do we value? We already know that teachers are going to value um, that this feedback process, all that I've talked to do, and I as a teacher did as well. And so, however, when you're at that different level, there's different forces always aside from your students. So what, what do we value as an educational community and how do we make sure those values are, are, are forefronted uh, as we move forward? Because this is a values question in the end. Yeah, and I'm gonna pick up right there, Nathan, because for me it would be, <clears throat> as we're walking down the hall, I would just deep breath, breathe, relax. Um, think about your own experiences. Um, think about what you value as a teacher and what you um, took on this career for, this vocation that so many of us have been called to. We know it's not about the paycheck. <laughs> we know it's about what we can do for kids. And think about what the outcome you want is. And do we want to continue down this path of, of developing point accumulators um, kids who run around and sorting and classifying and creating these norm curves that are not natural in, in our society anyway? Or do we want to develop lifelong learners? Do we want kids who enjoy learning, who are passionate about that learning process, who are constantly revisiting who they are and what they're doing in terms of that education that they're, they're, they're attaining? And do we want to keep them engaged? And do we want them to be to be with us. And I think when you start to answer those questions, things like, well, if they turn the paper in 10 minutes late, do I really have to take 50% off? Or do I really have to give a grade on the first attempt at something? Or can I actually just relax and let kids learn at the speed of learning? And we all know that children learn at very different rates, right? And our school system is really developed to really help those who learn quickly succeed. And we need, to, we need to back off from that. We need to allow all kids to succeed and we need to give all kids that time. And feedback is a way of doing that and rethinking the way that we assess and, and the way that we grade um, can be very powerful in that, in that for us. Um, so relax, breathe, like uh, Nathan said, do some research um, and let's, yeah, let's, let's just, slow down to the speed of learning, if that makes sense. And, and I would kind of add to that in terms of slowing down to the speed of, of what we can reasonably expect for change. A lot of the uh, things that we've heard about in, in terms of you know, making these shifts, they're cultural shifts. And those cultural shifts take a lot longer than a PD session on a Wednesday afternoon. So uh, you, know, you have to play the long game here. Uh, for the teachers, again, as, as, as my other two colleagues have mentioned, you know, start diving in, start trying to relax, but at the same time realizing a lot of teachers are overwhelmed right now. And so maybe that's, that's problematic, but it's also an opportunity to kind of bring up that, that, that one quote, insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So maybe this is the time we have to pause and say, I have to do something different for my own survival. And then for the administrators, uh, you know, Nathan avoided the term buy-in. I would use the term capacity building. And so in their future um, planning, in their future hiring, 
and the questions that they ask the candidates they're bringing in for open positions, you know, thoughts about those um, shifts and thoughts about their philosophies uh, regarding education and actually having the evidence. I think everyone has a teaching philosophy statement and I think I'm pretty sure everyone says they're a social constructivist and a lifelong learner. And so let's kind of ask a little bit more about where's the evidence there to demonstrate that um, as, a, as a mechanism for building capacity within their staff. So when we think about the, the time we've, we've shared together, um, in many instances, you, uh, the three of you, have done a beautiful job of answering in different avenues, so what? And we might come back to some of the things that you've lifted as we, we walk away um, and, and go our, our separate, separate avenues and hallways and, and internet connections. Um, perhaps we'll, we'll think about this. We'll think about, um, so what? So what do we value? We'll think about, so what's my purpose for doing this? Whether it's supplying feedback, it's assessing, it's grading. I hope that, that our, our listeners have, have taken some nuggets of what you, you've shared and, and really are starting to ask themselves, so what is my evidence? What is the evidence that needs to be done? What is the evidence that this will matter to children? And they'll consider, so what drove me here? Ellen lifted that idea of what, what drove you to become an educator? What drove you to become a building principal, a district leader? What are your drivers? And do those drivers really reflect what you believe education should look and sound and feel like, not just for my child, but for every child? And so as we, we walk down our, our hallways and go our separate ways, let's continue to ask ourselves, so what? Uh, what can we do within our own sphere of control so that we can start to make the small shifts that will eventually shift um, something for everyone? So, so what? So what can you do? So what can we all do together so that we really start to build an educational system that reflects what we truly believe every child should have? Thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to the next time we can come together and ask that age-old question, so what, and get to the point of, of what we have been given and blessed with throughout the field of education. Thanks again for listening to Getting to the Core. To access previous episodes, along with transcripts and additional resources, visit risa.net forward slash podcast.